to <coughs> to open up the floor again. Um, but uh, I gave a retreat a couple of weeks ago in Canmore. You know where Canmore is? West of Calgary, in the Rockies. So I was there for had a sort of a long weekend retreat there, and uh, I, I lived in Calgary for many years. I've been in Thailand now for uh, eight years, I guess. And um, but it was I was in Canmore where it was cold and whatnot, and uh, so I had to give talks there. But it's um, so it's, it's always different to, to just give a talk uh, on the kind of off the cuff. There's an expression in, in soccer, you know, uh, soccer called the dead ball. You know the dead ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dead ball is was when there's a penalty. And um, so all of the all of the people are in the stands, and all of the players are lined up and whatnot. And there's a ball there, and then one guy gets to kick it at the at the goal. But uh, everything that happens to that ball is just on the basis of one guy's kick. Yeah. You know? So it's while well, it's sitting there, it's the dead ball. And um, there's a sense in which uh, in which giving a talk sometimes feels like that at the beginning as well. If no one has any pressing questions, maybe someone does have a pressing question. <laughs> well, I have one. You have one. one. Okay. pertinent to Saturday afternoon talks, and it's to do with sleepiness and drowsiness. Yeah. I always find it just almost impossible at the one thirty-six. Well, it's a. It's just the timing of these things. I mean, um, most of well, we've all had a big meal, mm -hmm. and um, so it isn't always the most auspicious time to to uh, to be sitting because the body's using a lot of energy uh, digesting food, <coughs> and yet it makes a lot of sense, just practically speaking, I guess, for for uh, for Ajahn Viridama to have this Saturday talk this time of day. Yeah, sleepiness, I think, came up last time, <laughs> as, a, as a subject. <coughs> yeah, you can keep your eyes open, uh, certainly. Um, you can also stand. That's also uh, often enough. I mean, we, um, when we're in a group, when we're sitting in a group, we, we don't want to do something which makes us stand out, no pun intended, but we don't. Uh, we just want to follow whatever the whatever we're supposed to be doing. And um, uh, and therefore, something like standing even is, is, uh, seems a little bit awkward, socially speaking, but it's certainly uh, within the realm of possibility, I think, in, in a place like this. You can see how it changes your attention anyway. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it'll do something. Or eat way less on Saturday afternoon, <laughs> Saturday lunch. I've tried fasting. I still fasting. <laughs> still, still, yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, the body has rhythms, habits yeah. that are that are quite quite strongly imprinted. So if you have a nap time at a normal time, or you go to bed at a certain time, and so on and so forth, and it takes some kind of um, something like fire. Everybody have fire. You know, everyone runs. Takes something to to alert the the mind that, that uh, something else is being required and <laughs> just falling into its habits. Well, I even noticed for me, it was just even the noise in the kitchen was 
We like, have to. Yeah, like, oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> Something's <laughs> happening. I actually pay attention to it. Yeah. That it's external. But. Yeah. It's uh, like in, in, in Thailand, probably uh, in any monastery, too, um, the abbot will mix up the schedules sometimes in order to, um, to just kind of interrupt some of these normal patterns. Ajahn Chah would sometimes get the monks out after a big meal in the middle of the hot season, put on uh, both their upper robe but also their outer robe and get them to, to sit. And it would have been quite excruciating, you know, just the heat of it and then trying right after the meal to sit for an hour or two uh, in, in the sala. But uh, he did that to kind of strengthen people's practice to get them out of uh, out of the little the, the little ruts that we tend to develop that are kind of easy to slip into and uh, to extend ourselves in, in our lives. May I ask a question about emotions? About emotions, yeah. Yes. I understand their objects, right, and um, awareness, this other place that we're trying to cultivate that's unconditioned and so forth, that we're supposed to be kind of the observer, all these things, but there's times where I'm not even sure what's triggered, what I'm feeling, like I, I know it's an object but it's still impactful, and I'm sure I've heard the answer to this somewhere before, I can't remember, but do you have anything to suggest relative to other than just being with it, right? Is there anything to do to kind of not shove it or fight it back into a very discreet object status versus embodying you? Does that make sense? Well, you're, um, so the subject is an emotion. So yeah. Emotion is coming up and you're wondering what to do with it? Well, yeah. It, it's not just that, that it's kind of overwhelming, right, and it kind of takes over mm -hmm. your mood, mental state, and so forth. And I'm aware that that's happening, but that's very different than almost having the emotion at a arm's length a little bit where, where it really is an object separate, separated from mm -hmm. your experience. Does that make any sense? Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, we, I, uh, part of what I hear you sort of saying is that, you know, this is, I understand the practice that goes like this, I should be doing this and I can't, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, Time, so. and emotions are inconvenient or or maybe they make, make us feel like we're not good practitioners or something, yeah, it's still not working, what do I have to, you know, how do, how do I sort this out? So if it's sadness or, or um, anger or something like that, it's, um, it's inconvenient, it reminds us that we haven't overcome that or, or that the mind is still prone to um, these kind of tendencies and so it's a, a kind of awkward reminder in a sense as well. Yeah, the, the, it's, it seems in so much of this practice that the that the valuable thing to keep in mind, at least, is um, 
the difference between uh, being in the midst of something and being aware of something, uh, identifying with something and, and being aware that something is occurring. And um, I think last, last time someone was asking about, um, no, that was at the retreat, sorry. <laughs> labeling, labeling. Sometimes uh, some, uh, a little device like labeling can be helpful. So something's coming up and you're, you're, you're just identifying angering, 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 you know, or what's it feel like? Where can you, where can you locate it? One of the reasons that I, uh, I like to start off by talking about the body and meditation is that being who we are, kind of busy Westerners, um, full of ideas and, 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 and so forth, we we uh, we we think anyway that we're just prone to live quite comfortably or happily or just habitually in the mind and what it's doing, what it's throwing up, uh, rather than just being attentive to the body. And uh, with emotions, of course, they do they do register somewhere. Um, so uh, one thing that you can look for, remind yourself to look for, when you, maybe after you've labeled it a few times, saddening, saddening, uh, angering, angering, something like that, is uh, to try to find where, where it registers, where it kind of lives, or where it's being born in the body. What does that feel like? What kinds of, what kinds of language can you put around it? I mean, is, is it... Does it have a temperature? Does it have a texture? Does it have a, you know, kind of a smell? Are there indications that it's about to kind of burst forth with life? Um, what 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 is it that you can understand about it? Um, so much of so much of coming to terms with our experiences is actually being willing to to look at it. Because it's very different. It's very different to to observe something, to hold something in awareness, be really aware of it, and to be to be trying to move it away, trying to avoid it, trying to deny it, trying to or or scolding ourselves for it happening again, and so on and so forth. Because that that adds uh, two or three levels of complexity to what it is that's that's uh, presently occurring. But just to to look at it squarely. Of course, it, it isn't going to stay the same because uh, holding something in the attention like that is to is also to see it begin to move, maybe to you know to to, 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 to gather a bit of strength and then to, to fade away or what have you. But um, our 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 images of ourselves as practitioners sometimes get in the way of uh, of actually um, sitting with things if we're uh, if we're if we have a kind of critical temperament, self-critical, for instance, in terms of, well, you know, I've been practicing for X number of years, or um, that's not what a Buddhist should do with lust, or, you know, whatever is happening, or, um, um, so, so rather than uh, entertain that kind of level of uh, self-critique, um, uh, just to sit with something, its texture, its heat, what have you, is a, is a different kind of experience. I mean, there there are uh, there are other approaches too. That that's um, I'm sort of giving you one approach. There are, of course, thoughts which are um, 
which are not healthy to entertain, for instance. So the Buddha talks about uh, driving out a, a like a, like a carpenter would drive out a coarse peg with a finer peg. I guess you've got joints fitted in that, and you've got a kind of coarse peg, and then you're getting all things lined up, and then when something's ready, you 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 you, um, you, you drive in a fine the finer peg, the final peg, and then the other peg comes out of the wood. If you can understand that in terms of a joint, so um, uh, so you think of a you think of a more wholesome set of um, mental objects to 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 develop to entertain. And that's one of the reasons that, that um, there are these various lists. Um, one that comes to mind are the ten recollections. Uh, actually, there are ten in total, but I think uh, there are six of them in one part of the Anguttara and four in another part. But, but um, uh, they, they, um, they work with different temperaments. So I, I can just sort of go through them quickly. There's Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha Anusati, so um, taking up the subject of the Buddha's qualities or the qualities of the Dhamma or the qualities of the enlightened Sangha, uh, something about that. So we have, in, in each case, very inspiring, very uplifting subjects to, to develop. And for someone who's um, been practicing a while and chanting and, and uh, reading suttas and, and just um, uh, nurturing a, a sense of, of, of Buddhism in this more uh, informed sense. There are um, uh, subjects, elements of, of Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, which can be very interesting and, and, uh, and uplifting, and, and um, the faithful heart can develop in its confidence and, and, and quality of inspiration. Um, the other three in that first set are. Um, um, Sila Anasati, Chaga Anasati, and Devana Anasati. So, um, um, contemplating the value of virtue, for instance. So again, say you're working with something, you're, you're, um, you're, you've, been, you've been sitting or doing whatever you're doing, and um, you don't think it's profitable to be continuing to kind of gnaw on some bone, basically, emotionally speaking. So you're 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 calling up a different uh, set of um, set of ideas to develop a different kind of sense of agency in, in, in the heart. So virtue, you know, what's the value of virtue? Um, um, can you think of a of a person who? Can you think of an instance in your life or in someone else's life when someone has done something deeply courageously? profoundly generous or honest or courageous or something and, and remind yourself of the, of the value of that, of the, of the power of that in the world, say. Um, so contemplating our virtue, its value, its beauty and, and so forth and actually picking it up and finding something to, you, you really are fashioning something, a mental object of some sort of wholesome power that the heart can, can kind of gain some release and, and, and feel the benefit from. Um, generosity, chaganasati. Um, here again, for instance, when the Buddha is speaking to his son, <coughs> the young Rahula, when he's a novice or a young monk, 
um, he, uh, he gives them the advice that before you give something, um, think about how wonderful it is to, you know, to, to be able to, to give something, have something to actually offer, to share with someone, so that it can, it can, it can bring something to their life. It's useful, it's timely, it's, uh, it's appropriate, and so forth. What a, what a thing, you know, for a human being to... to uh, and sometimes you don't have very much yourself, and you go out of your way to make something, just because it's, this exchange is so lovely. So, so you, you reflect on a gift before you give it, while you're giving it, you're, you're, um, you're reminding the heart of, of, uh, of the value of this, of this exchange of energy, um, uh, you're, and you're, um, what are you doing? You're savoring the, again, the kind of beauty, the sweetness of a, of a, of a really lovely human moment. And after you've done it, from time to time, bring bring it up again. Remind yourself of maybe maybe when you are a little bit uh, feeling dispirited. You remind yourself of, of times when you have have really gone out of your way to to uh, to make someone's life easier or to be kind uh, in, in some in some sort of way. Or uh, you've helped them. Maybe they've been ill, and you've been able to bring them food or comfort, or you've given. You've given people uh, your ear because they just needed to um, to express to you that you know how how things have been difficult for them, and, and they needed to be able to find their way through this by articulating it to, to to a friend. Or I mean, we can be generous in so many ways, but uh, we we aren't we aren't always very skillful and generous with ourselves in this regard. We um, well, there is a kind of, what would you say, you know, whatever, a kind of Protestant attitude towards, you know, giving things in order to get things or whatever. We, we can be quite self, we can be, we can be quite uh, ungenerous uh, about ourselves uh, in, in this regard because um, we, um, we, we, can, we, can, we can think, oh, I, I only did that so that they'd like me or, or, or what have you. Um, So this, this particular recollection is a way of, of, um, of ignoring that, that kind of insidious uh, um, language, that, those narratives that, that sometimes can develop in the mind, and just saying, you know, no, I mean, to, to be good and kind and generous and, 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 and offer support and that, these are, these, are just, these are just good ways of being human. You know? And what a lovely thing! I'm so glad I, I, I did that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I, you know, that I'm intending to do this or, or that. So another recollection, in other words, to bring uplift to the heart. And uh, the sixth of them is is uh, to do to do this in regards to the devas. Now, in maybe in our culture, this is uh, uh, even a bit more of a stretch because we are not sure how we how we regard the, the devas in the Buddhist cosmology. Do they really exist? And, and so on and so forth. But um, the, the Buddha would, maybe in a sense I would say, let's just say that um, the universe is <laughs> it's just kind of a big place, you know. Like uh, every once in a while I go out and I have a, you know, go outside at, two in the morning or something. Sometimes we've actually had very clear skies here. You know, we get this thick band of the Milky Way and we're told that we're in one, 
kind of side of the Milky Way, and we're just in one little solar system. And every every one of those dots you see are you know the kind of centers of other solar systems. I mean, it just it just boggles. I mean, if you if you take that seriously, I remember introducing this to a friend years and years and years ago, and he was much elder than me, but he just never thought about it, you know, I mean, anything you can see, and then you kind of wonder, well, what's, what's past that, <laughs> what's, you know, and, and how could it end, and my God, so let's just assume that, that what we're aware of, what, what we're aware of through these little senses of ours that get diminished over time and age, uh, let's just assume that we, <laughs> maybe we don't see everything, you know, dogs smell whatever thousands of times better than we do, and, and all the rest of it. You know, imagine being one of these dogs in airports, and you can, you know, two parts per million of <laughs> cocaine or something. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I get a biscuit again. Yay! You know, um, it's it's pretty astonishing. So um, yeah, okay. So maybe there could be something like Davis. Uh, or ghosts, or uh, these various realms of being, but just to add a bit of humor. Okay, let's just let's just imagine um, my world could be populated in ways which I'm unaware of, and and uh, and, um, and and among the you know the populace that, that can can exist in a particular space, there could be dimensions of of beings who. Um, you know, they're not awakened necessarily. Uh, some of them might partially be or whatever, but, but um, they, um, they're there because of, they're, they're there because of really strongly good qualities. They see some things very clearly, uh, honesty or, or, um, or generosity, some of the things I've been mentioning, are, have been, um, for at least periods in their existence, have been extremely bright. Uh, so the things that they have done have, have resulted, karmically speaking, in this kind of rebirth. We're told that, that we are reborn according to the quality, the, the, the texture of our karma. So this is just one of those instances. Um, maybe, maybe you hold rebirth in that sense a little bit lightly too, not quite sure. But just think about your own life, how... how uh, waking up or experiencing a certain sort of mood, and and then going with that as you've been as you started out this this uh, conversation by asking, uh, it can it can really change your day. It can really change your day. Think of it in, in terms of a you know somebody doing something really disastrous. Uh, they wake up. They really want. They're poor. Damn it, I'm poor. Don't want to be poor. I want to be able to buy stuff I like. I want stuff I like. And so you go out and steal it. You get caught that day. And you get, you know, you get thrown in prison. Get beaten up. And, you know, within, within the course of a day, you can start out just, you know, kind of waking up and eating a bowl of Cheerios and ending up in prison, getting, getting your, you know, being socked around by uh, some, some fellow prisoners. Or, uh, something really good can happen too because you've really put your mind to it and you can be kind of reborn, humanly speaking, in a kind of heavenly realm. You do something especially kind in a moment uh, and it's just a precise moment when, when uh, 
this is uh, of great need by someone, and maybe they happen to be really rich, and they say, you know, that's so kind, uh, and you look like you could use some help. Uh, um, you know, and they, they, they pay for your year's education in university or something, or you know, things like this happen after all. It isn't all just it isn't just novels that interesting interesting and novel things happen to people. Sometimes it happens in real life too. As I've gotten older, actually, I've decided that basically no novelist can think of something that couldn't happen. Because I've just heard so many weird stories of actual events in human life. And uh, you couldn't make it up. And if you put it in a novel, you'd, be, you'd have to be a really good writer to make it believable. But it happens. So, anyway, with Davis, um, you may or you may not find that, that thinking kind of outside of the box, as it were, outside of the sensory box, is just kind of helpful sometimes. Imagine, imagine if, if there are beings who um, have some, you know, can have some sort of influence on, on, ex on, on our experience. And um, one of the things that's interesting about the Arman, I mean, this is taking a kind of Buddhist, Asian Buddhist point of view, is that is that um, they have limited ways of making karma, good karma themselves. Um, one of the ways they can make good karma though is by rejoicing in, in people's goodness. So Dave is apparently will um, sometimes uh, take an interest in people meditating, you know, a group of people coming on a retreat, or they'll take a particular interest in maybe a, a, a highly um, spiritually evolved person, uh, because it's just, uh, they actually gain some radiance just by, by, by observing this person and by maybe learning from some of the teachings or by just rejoicing in, in, in the, the goodness of this person. So there are Davis, anyway, you can, I actually uh, find this a very interesting subject because I don't think that, um, I don't think that the Buddha's um, reference to the devas is um, uh, a kind of a cultural artifact and, uh, and also because uh, in, in, uh, in Asian Buddhist cultures where these things are taken for granted you just, you just sort of catch on to the, to the attitude of, of kind of taking them for granted uh, in the sense that of course they exist, you know, that sort of sense. It just becomes part of your world in other words, even though you can't see them. So it's, it's kind of interesting. In the same way, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think of what dogs might think about, or, you know, your little puppy and they're, they're, they're moving around in their sleep. Well, what would your puppy be dreaming about? Isn't that kind of interesting, you know? It's completely out of your realm of understanding, probably, except that you can see the dog twitching and making little, little gestures or noises. But, but that, imaginator, that imaginative element of a human being to just, uh, you know, consider uh, a, a reality outside of my kin. Huh. I, wonder, I wonder what that would be like. So to apply it in, in um, kind of wholesome, wholesome ways, ways which can elicit some joy, is, uh, can, be, can be good. Then there are uh, others of these. Uh, one is, um, is uh, Maranasati. So uh, reflection on recollection of death. So, this, is, this takes a very different turn, doesn't it? Um, um, so for instance, and maybe uh, 
to, to get back to your initial question or my sense of your question, say you're in a bad mood or say, say um, you just can't get this particular emotion uh, and, and maybe it involves remembering certain things, conversations that are disagreeable or something, let's say. Uh, you can't get this little, you're, you're in this, uh, you're in this kind of, um, you're in this kind of, um, the squirrel is in that cage, let's just say it that way. And then you stop. So you have enough mindfulness to stop for a second. Ah, what am I going to, am I going to spend all day doing, you know, worrying about this or complaining about that or arguing with myself about, about that? And I really, oh my goodness, you know, can I do anything better? One of the ways of getting you out of yourself, that if the first six haven't, you know, haven't come to mind, is to remind yourself, you know, I could, I could be, I could die before the end of the day. What a thing to, you know, what a thing to die with, you know, in the midst of this turmoil that, that has uh, just kind of come over me like a, like a thunderstorm. Um, I have to, I have to, I have to make better use of my time, my precious human life. Um, because I could die at any time. I don't know how I'll die, where I'll die, when I'll die, with whom, under what circumstances. I don't know. I don't know any of the. I don't. I don't. I don't know any of the conditions of, of my death. I know. I know intellectually that I will die, and of course, because my parents live this long or that long or whatever, or because the average age of a Canadian or American is this age, or because I. Or because basically I can't imagine not living. Uh, for all these reasons, <laughs> I don't give it much, uh, very much thought. And yet, perhaps I should. Uh, perhaps I should. I engage in very different, dangerous activities sometimes. Imagine I drive a car for goodness' sake. Ha! Ah, what a frightening, uh, uh, what a frightening thing that is. Tens of thousands of people die every year in a car, or their lives are immediately changed because of some accident. And I hardly give any thought to it. I put on my seatbelt and that's it. Wow. Wow. What would it be like to, to be lingering on with, with bone cancer for month and month and year and year? And how would I deal with that kind of pain? What kind of spiritual resources would I have to draw upon if that were the case? How would I develop those spiritual resources if I, if I don't feel I have them now? What would I do to, in order to develop them? Well, I would find ways to to be patient with in the midst of in the midst of things going otherwise. I I, I find ways of, of bearing with difficult situations, difficult conversations, just being strong and not reactive, just being strong, holding holding a space and then letting it finally subside. Maybe I could do that. What am I, you know, how am I when, when things go otherwise? When, when, when I'd rather that things go this way rather than that way? Do I fly off the handle? You know, do I have any kind of patience or do I kind of complain a lot internally if not externally? What, what do I do in those circumstances? Oh, yeah, I need to, I, I could become stronger. I need to reflect on this more in order to become kind of stronger and more healthy and truer as a human being. So um, you could, and there are many, many ways of reflecting on, on, on death, but you know, those, are, those would be examples. And you can see how any of these things, they, are, they, they, they can be the real use of the mind 
imagination, questioning, you know, looking at the object from all kinds of angles and, you know, questioning it and asking these questions about it various ways. So the mind can be quite active, but it's a very different kind of activity than just being kind of, you know, drawn into a cycle of emotion or regret or whatever, whatever that might be. There's also uh, um, uh, considering the, the, um, the aspects of the body. It's related to, to uh, death, of course, but, but just, and, and this would be particularly pertinent, say, if one is always drawn into desire, to wanting this or that, um, to lust, for instance, being just, just um, uh, uh, sidetracked all the time by, by, by um, a sensuous desire. Just reminding yourself of, of what the of what the body uh, body's nature is, um, you know. Isn't it curious that we we have to do so much to keep the body clean and healthy and fed and take it to the toilet and then we have to do things with our hair and then there's dandruff and it just on and on and on. But we we usually gloss over these things because we want to keep keep a kind of perspective which is in fact unrealistic. Think of a romantic dinner for instance. What do you, you know, what, what's the first thing you do with it? Well, you do a couple of things with, with the kind of cultural romantic dinner of my imagination. One thing is you turn the lights down, <laughs> you put a little candle in the middle of the table. Another thing is you, you, you uh, feed both of you with, with wine so that the senses are kind of dull. It's, it's a very curious thing, you know, about romance and how you how you really foster romance so and why do we do that well because because <laughs> we aren't always that attractive to look at we kind of smell and we're itchy <laughs> you know so it's just, just just bringing some realism to to the nature of the body where are we now so that's about number eight and then um, i have to call up my little list again Well, the tenth one is peace. Right now, I can't think of the ninth. The tenth one is peace. Very beautiful. Um, a recollection of peace. And um, if if one is in a particular state of emotional anxiety, uh, maybe fear is prone to uh, periods of uh, anxiety, fearfulness, worry, um, uh, for instance. But any, any type of uh, disagreeable emotional state, uh, one can you, can, you can imagine uh, to be rid of this, to, be, to just, you know, to take this burden and, and just put it there and then to feel that 50 pound weight, you know, what that's like. We all know what that's like, uh, how, how, the, how we can breathe more easily. We feel less burdened. Uh, less constricted, less, less uh, conflicted. Um, that's that's ex experience of peace. I mean, the formal truths in the way that they're articulated, and this isn't an accident, of course, um, in order to, to become whole and, and to awaken to the truth, we first of all have to have a very clear understanding, appreciation, acknowledgement of what what the problem is, you know, what the problem is. And first of all, it's just to acknowledge 
Yeah, it's a very important word because in our culture, we, this particular culture, there are a lot of ways of, of, of veering away from just the fact that things are difficult. Even, even if our material circumstances are you know, reasonably comfortable, still things are difficult because we s typically we still want more or we're worried about losing what we have, for instance, let alone the, 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 the human difficulties that come just from our being unawakened human beings yeah, in relationship with others, family members, parents, children, spouses. Uh, office workers and on and on and on. So we acknowledge we acknowledge that uh, uh, our own experiences of fear, worry, of, of rage, of, of hatred, of, uh, we 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 experience these, and again they do register in the body in particular ways. They have a particular character which is very recognizable outside of the particular thought stream that, that is accompanying them, uh, the particular story that we have, which we may uh, probably uh, believe, we find it convincing. Quite apart from that, there is just the experience of these things. But when we acknowledge them, and then, just, and then there's this, just this kind of, rec ah, that's suffering. You know, that's, that's, that's uh, kind of labeling something, isn't it? That's suffering. That's suffering. Then we know that there's there's something we can do because um, for a Buddhist you think well what's the second noble truth and all of a sudden the world opens up because it means that there is some agency that we have we have something to do with the fact that we're suffering and what we have to do with that fact is that there's something that we're clinging to there's something that we're we're trying to hold on to to grasp not to let go of or there's a particular um, uh, idea that we're trying desperately to, to, to get out of our field of experience, so we've, we've, sort of, we've contracted around that desire to get rid of, so to have or not to have is similar, uh, and there's a similar uh, kind of structure at work in both of them. But it's very, it's very interesting, it's very lovely actually, to acknowledge suffering, the next step would be to to see what it is that I'm clinging to, what I'm hanging on to. And when, and when that relationship is, is seen, just in a moment, just you know, for this or for that, or for this particular uh, event or experience in, in, in our day, there's a moment of release, of, of freedom, of, of, of peace. It's available to any of us, and it's, you know, it's very interesting, and it's, it's, it's right where you want it, which is, it's available through our own through our own attention, and this is one way to to reflect on on peacefulness. We also have memories of of, of times of just feeling very much at ease, spacious, um, for instance, uh, and you can you can you can. You can uh, find ways to, to, to bring that back into the into the moment, um, but it is a it is a resource to be able to to reflect on the value of contentment, peacefulness, ease, spaciousness, a sense of being disencumbered, um, 
unburdened, for instance. All of these words kind of evoke something in, in, in the human experience, I think. So often we view our problem to be quite different from that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's around not having what we need, not, not, not being able to keep what we want and have or had. Uh, or or it's, it's, it's very much externalized, my problem is my spouse, <laughs> my problem is my boss, my, my problem is my, my older son, or whatever it is, so we externalize. But just to, to bring things down to their clearest and simplest, most elegant, you know, kind of mathematically elegant equation, to, to realize that, that the, only, the only place any kind of real agency or control or influence takes place is right in the human heart, right how it, uh, in, in regards to how it is we hold and grasp things, how we want, whether we want, demand, whether, we, whether or not we demand or want or uh, uh, cling to certain things which are um, inherently, uh, because they're impermanent, uh, they are unclingable, they are ungraspable ultimately. And perhaps that's the root of our problem. Something in deep in us understands that we aren't in control, and that's that's a real problem. Um, until we we understand um, that actually that's the the door to our freedom. Ah, number nine, anapanasati which we've been doing. So uh, this is, the, this is the bringing the attention to the, the, in, the inhalation and exhalation. Um, maybe I don't need to talk too much about it, but, um, but maybe just to remind us, the Buddha uh, praised this practice in, in various ways, you know, but I, you know, there's one sutta in which uh, he's talking about um, to, to younger monks, he says, you know, you monks in training who haven't found the you know the the way yet to the the end of suffering, uh, here's what you do: <laughs> you practice the, the satipatthana. You watch the breath, the inhalation, exhalation, rising, falling, long breath, short breath, and so on and so forth. That's 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 a way that's going to take you to the end of suffering. The and uh, the monks who have have become awakened to the truth. They they've done it in this way, and uh, if any if any if any abiding is is uh, to be described as truly the abiding of the tathagata, it's the peacefulness that I that, that, that occurs when when I when the tathagata is tata is simply watching the watching the breath. I mean it's a it's a very it's an extraordinarily powerful uh, um, practice. Um, which uh, conduces to uh, a deepening stability, a clarification of the, of the mind and experience. So that's, that's the tenth reflection, it's actually number nine, but never mind that. So yeah, these are, these are things that, that uh, um, sometimes the lists can be quite kind of onerous and, and a person can get kind of tired of reading through, through lists, but it's, I've always found it helpful to have a, a couple at my beck and call, just for that reason. I don't need to go through all of them, but just reminding myself of the seven factors of awakening, or the, 
the five spiritual powers or something like that because um, it's just a kind of quick it's a quick way to review uh, yeah that's not going so well well there's there's some of that here and, and this could be but you 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 remind yourself of, of a dynamic of a, a causal dynamic bring these the, these these notions to mind and they they do they do evoke something in in the heart when we kind of take them seriously just ponder them pause with them for just a, a few seconds or a few moments in, in the day we're kind of gathering together you know it's like the best choir or the best group or the best the most uh, congenial grouping of flowers or the most be you know it's just it's just a beautiful set of, of, of mental objects <laughs> just for a while there's a kind of order to them and an orderliness to them and a, and a symmetry and a beauty to them and, and there is a, a, a power to them as well so it's for these kinds of reasons that I, that I do like to keep as I say a few of these um, these lists as it were in mind so I'll offer those words for your reflection and <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm open for questions too. And when things are really tough, sometimes, and when there's sometimes when they're really good, sometimes you can remember <coughs> one of those things that Ajahn Shah. And he just he's, he's um, you know, he said one time, I don't know where I read this, he said, uh, half of the spiritual life is realizing what you need to do and being unable to do it. <laughs> you know, that's quite a, an observation. So humility, you know, sometimes, maybe even a bit of humor, sense of humor sometimes. Because, you, you know, we, we, none of us, None of us want to get sort of stuck into the same thing and remind us, oh, I'm not good. I'm not a good meditator. I'm not, oh, yeah. That just reminds me of how bad a meditator I am. Or, oh, yeah. yeah. We, we get stuck into these, into these patterns like this, and they just do us no good at all. So um, sometimes a, a, a statement like that is good to, to remind ourselves of because um, I can get better, but the only way I can get better is just by keep trying my best. When you do that, your best gets better. That's the simple. It's the simple truth of it. So, um, but it isn't. It isn't going to happen uh, today, probably. Just keep trying. <laughs>